Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to be reading from verse uh, 22. We've gone over this the last couple of weeks, and still here looking at, and we've talked about a lot about this issue of fellowship and relationship, and that all believers, if you are a believer, you're in relationship with all, with with God, but not all believers are in fellowship with Him. And we've looked at two, two biblical examples in particular of a believer in fellowship and relationship, Abraham, and a believer who was in relationship but not fellowship, and that was Lot. Now, we're looking at um, an incident in the life of Jacob whereby he's transitioning from being in relationship to being in relationship and fellowship in the account of when he wrestled with God. We talked about that the, the setting here, as you'll remember, is that Esau is coming. And he hasn't seen Esau in 20 years. And he's been 20 years in relationship, but he's been out of fellowship. He's been outside of Bethel, where God met him in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. And Bethel means the house of God. And by the way, his first 10 children were raised during that time. And uh, might give us some insight as to why they conspired to sell their brother into slavery and lie to their father about what happened to him. <clears throat> Joseph, their brother. Now he's facing the darkest night of his life. He's in great fear and distress according to Genesis chapter 32, verse 6. We went over last week his prayer uh, in Genesis chapter 32, verses 9 and following. And we learn some things about how to pray when you're in this kind of position, in this place. And he affirmed the greatness of God and prayed back a promise from God he had and he held on to that promise. And then we see humility in his life in verse 10 because he affirms something that is true about me and you. And that is we're not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth that God has shown us. The, the, the praise is that he's worthy. And He has, through His Son, made us worthy. Hallelujah. Just wonder if there might be an Esau approaching you in this season of your life. If there's not an Esau approaching, there will be. And the last thing he knew of Esau, his brother, who was a man's man, a burly guy, he was not a sissy, was he said, I'm going to wait till our dad dies. And after our dad dies, out of respect for my dad, I'm going to wait till he dies. And then I'm going to kill you. And so uh, that's the last word he got out of Esau. So he's got to figure after 20 years being on the run, Esau's probably not changed his mind. But yet God had promised him he's going to live. And God had promised him he's going to go back to the land of his father. He was going to fulfill all the promises he had made to his grandfather, Abraham. And Jacob was clinging to that. You remember we talked about the fact that Jacob had spent his entire life getting. He was a swindler. He was, uh, his name means heel catcher. He was a deceiver, he was a con artist, he was a schemer, he was a manipulator, he was a uh, person who caused others to stumble. We talked about that too, that the most dangerous man in the Bible is not somebody who's openly pagan, the most dangerous man in the Bible is certainly not the spirit-filled Christian who's the most dangerous to the demonic realm, but the most dangerous man in society is the middleman who can't make up his mind, the one who's in the world and seems to be of it. And the one who's caught between two opinions and won't put on a jersey, bleeds into the middle, 
confuses everybody around. They confuse themselves and they confuse everybody around them. And Jacob was this sort of guy. And now he's moved into here in this place and his schemes, he doesn't have a plan for this one. He's come to the end of his place where he says, I don't have a plan on how to get out of this mess. Uh, he does come up with some plans and he decides to send the least favorite wives of his and their children that he fathered by them in order all the way to his favorite wife with him beside her, by the way, uh, just in case uh, Esau's mad. Maybe he'll kill the, the first few and get back to him. But his family is threatened. His future is threatened. His descendants are threatened. Everything is on the line here. Everything he had worked for and acquired in 20 years of service to Laban who had manipulated him because you reap what you sow is on the line. Yet, countering every bit of this is the same thing that keeps us going, and that is that God's promise is still there. He's still standing on a promise. Hallelujah! That's why we sang that this morning. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Hallelujah! And God said, I don't, I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to get you out of this mess, but you're going to live. And somehow know that there's going to be deliverance, but yet He's afraid nonetheless. And we can understand His fear. We talked about it last week. One of two things is going to control us. It's either going to be faith or fear. Uh, we do a lot of nasty things to ourselves and other people because of faith, uh, fear. Uh, but faith is a substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Faith is to say that regardless of what the situation looks like, from a human standpoint with human eyes, I'm going to believe what God said. And that's where His crisis of belief, some would call it, takes place. And here it is in Genesis 22. And we're going to read it here. God willing, we got to this place. We did an overview of it a couple of weeks ago. Let's move on further through it. Verse 22, And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jacob, Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and set over what he had. Sent over what he had. And then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask me about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as He crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on Him and He limped on His hip. Therefore to this day the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because He touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. That's the word of the living God. We talked about it before and I'll ask it out loud here because it's critical to this passage. But He meets him at the ford of Jabbok. He sent over everything he had and now he's at a place alone. Do you remember what we observed that the word Jabbok means? Emptying. It means emptying. This is the place. This is the place where God intends. This is an appointment set up by God where God intends to take Jacob to a place where he rids him of all his manipulative uh, and uh, ways and his distrust of God and his trust in himself so that he's left with nothing but to trust God. 
He's a believer. He's a Christian. But he still lets that manipulative spirit control him. And right here, right here is his place of emptying. There's a jabbing in your life and mine, maybe even right now. The problem is, is we normally resent that spot. Uh, we'll do everything we can in the flesh to get out of it. And we will use manipulative techniques often to delay what has to happen if you're ever going to move on. Am I ever going to move on and ever have a hope of being a spirit-filled Christian? There's not another way. It's not like God's got options and says, well, you know what, if you'll just, you can either, we can either deal here or we'll, we'll do something different. No, God's got a plan and He met Him here. And this is a place and an, uh, an event that was ordained by God. And also, too, look at verse 23. He sent Him over the brook, over the ford, and he sent everything he had over his family. And Jacob, in verse 24, was left alone. It's a lonely place. You know, I cannot, and you cannot, uh, I can't lay on your altar and you can't lay on mine. I, and I, I, can't, I can't make judgments about yours and you need not make judgments about mine. That there is an empty, there is an empty in place for every believer. It's tailor-made for you. It's, it's different. Now, there's some similarities in it, but it's different for everyone. It's, it's, it's different for everyone, and it's designed by God. And we need to be patient with each other when we're going through it. We need to encourage one another. We need to pray for one another when we sense that somebody's at the fort of Gabbok, and they're at the place of, of, of emptying. Because see, right here, right here, He sent them over. Everything that He had connived and schemed for all His life had been sent away and He was left alone. His life of scheming and manipulation had caught up with Him at this point. And now, He was just like He was when He came into the world and that was with nothing. Everything else had gone on over. That's what He had acquired through dealing with Laban who was a fellow manipulator. And all of that stuff, He'd been stripped of it. And now, it's just Him and God. And boy, God wants to bring us to that place where it's just us and Him. And that place is mapped out for you and I. You might be going through it right now. You might know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, in the quietness of your heart right now, I'm going through that place where I'm being empty. You might have come to resent it. Cast out on the purposes and the love of God. That's what the enemy would love to do. Don't you know the enemy harassed the Savior when he was going to the cross and said, is this how your father treats your children? You know, I mean, is this how it's going to wind up? I mean, you've done everything right from the beginning. You've set out to, to, to appeal to His flesh, His humanity, not His spirit, and say, and, and this is what it this is what it means for you. Doesn't the enemy play tricks like that all the time? This is what Christian. This is what you signed up for. Are you are you uh, reading from a different Bible? Find somebody who can. Uh, uh, make it all turn out right for you. There are plenty of people who preach it that way, and uh, and, and 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 go that route. But let's 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 avoid this at all costs. So he was left alone. It's a lonely place. But the problem is, and the encouragement is, it might be a lonely place, but it's not lonely when you realize God's there, because God was there. Look at it. It says he was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. We will not go there. But we know from Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 through 5, which this incident is talked about, that the man who wrestled with God was God, I mean, wrestled with Jacob was God Himself. He wrestled with Him rather than, uh, and God wrestled with Him rather than Him wrestling with God. Remember now, this is the pre incarnate Jesus Christ. He meets Jesus Christ. 
That's who he's wrestling with. And it was a wrestling match that was scheduled by God. Your moments of consecration, your altar, is not the altar of your own making. It is not the altar of your own choosing. And it is not the altar of your, altar of your own timing. It's God who ordains all of that. God said, now you're ready. Now you're ready. This is a place I have designed. You remember, he started out the book, uh, the chapter saying, this is God and man's camp. This is a joint camp. God and man are here. And by the time he got through with it, he wanted to realize, no, son, it's not me and you. It's just me working through you. You've got nothing to offer me except an empty shell that I can fill. But on your own, you have nothing to offer me. And so God's scheduled this. God's got a schedule for you. He's got a schedule for me. We talked about the fact that Jesus, on the, on, the, on the eve of His death on the cross, His sacrificial death on the cross, sang with the disciples at the, at the Last Supper, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I'll rejoice and be glad in it. It's not the Romans that made this day. Pilate didn't make this day. The religious leaders didn't make this day. The Pharisees didn't make this day. The Galileans didn't make this day. God ordained this day. This is the day the Lord has made and I'll be rejoicing and glad in it. And we talked about before time and again that it's the issue of the fact that God has done the work of the cross for us but He also wants to do the, cross of, the work of the cross in us. In us. You see at this point Jacob didn't want anything from God. God wanted something from him. He wanted his self-reliance and his fleshly scheming. He said, I want that. I want that. That has plagued you long enough. You've lived that way long enough. You're at the end of the place. I want this gone. I want this out of you. You know, there's a wrestling match like that in the New Testament. We'll talk about it in a minute. And it wasn't a fair match, was it? <laughs> Boy, we sometimes we think it is, don't we? We're going to go up against God as if we're on equal territory an equal footing. It wasn't a fair match. I'll assure you of that. But it's an example of Paul in Romans chapter 7. Look at it. Paul's wrestling matches in Romans chapter 7. This is the New Testament example of what he was going through. And you remember this from Romans chapter 7. Let's go look at it. Look at Romans chapter 7. Verse 15. You can see the wrestling and the tension going on right here. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For that that I will to do, that I do not practice, but that which I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For me to will is present within me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, I do. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find in a law that evil is present within me, the one who does who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members. What? <coughs> Warring, wrestling against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. He's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then the Lord is stripping him of all his uh, religious leanings, all his trust 
in everything that he said he was divested of in Philippians when he said, I was a Jew of Jews, I was a Pharisee above Pharisees, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, and he gave all his religious credentials and said, my conclusion, every bit of that is like cow dung in light of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. This is what he's going through. The tension. And listen, this is not just Paul's tension. This is not just Jacob's tension. Believer, this is mine and yours. We own this text. This text is personal. This text is real. This is mine. This is yours. We're wrestling with the God. And who is going to take control? Who is going to prevail? Who is going Who is going to press in and persevere until God blesses them? Or are you going to take the one of 20 million escape routes and off-ramps to take some kind of delayed action to delay what inevitably must be your place of wrestling? Jabbok. Jabbok. Look at verse 26 of Genesis chapter 32. He said, He touched... And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket on his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. You know, it used to, when Andrew was little, uh, I would uh, come into the house, and it was almost like I'd have to announce to him, uh, Andrew, the attack orders that you normally have for me are over. Don't attack me tonight. And he never would listen to that. So he would come and attack me, and we would wrestle. He's going to get mad at me for sharing this. And we would wrestle. And the thing about it is, though, is that I would hold back wrestling with Andrew because if I turned the wrong way, we'd never see him again. And he thought he thought it was an even match. And he thought I was really trying hard, but I really wasn't. Because I could have I could take him out. And there'll come a day when he he'll be able to take me out, but it's not there yet. And I held back and withheld. This is this is God with Jacob knowing that he could ruin this man. God knows exactly what it takes. He knows exactly how to apply the pressure. You can rest in the fact that the wrestling match is going to last as long as God wants it to last. And the intensity of it is governed by Him, not by the world, not by the flesh, and not by the devil. And when, he turned around to, when he turned around to Peter and he said, Peter, Satan has asked for permission to sift you like wheat. And I want you to know something. I have prayed for you. Oh man, that's the greatest words in the Bible, maybe, arguably. And he said, but I want you to know I've prayed for you and that when you're restored, you're, you, you're going to strengthen your brethren. But I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. Peter failed, but his faith didn't. And the Lord was saying in that, Satan had to ask for permission for the longevity of the temptation, the longevity of the trial, and he has to ask for permission and God governs the intensity of it. Period. End of subject. There's no temptation that's overtaking you such as common to man. And God is faithful that along with it He'll provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. God's in charge. And He said, listen, hey, but I love the tenacity here and God loves it too. Because He's saying, I'm sticking in here. I've got no hope. I'm, I'm, I'm left with nothing. My schemes are going to come to naught. If Esau's the same guy that I knew him to be and everything is on the line, and let me just tell you this, Unless I come out of here blessed by you, I'm not going to make it. And he said, okay. Rosemary came up to me last week and made the observation. It was a great one. He said, when he touched the socket of the hip, that's a very painful thing to get your hip out of socket. Very painful. The joy and the, and the grace here afforded by God. We don't give credit to Jacob for it, but afforded by God. Is he knew enough about God to keep going? Do you know that you know enough about God to keep going? 
I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm not satisfied with what I know about him. But let me just tell you this. I know enough about him and so do you. And you're to make it your business to know enough about him to keep on going. See, it's the character of God, this issue here, not the character of Jacob. He knew enough about God to this point to know, I am going to prevail and I'm going to continue and I'm going to persevere and I'm going to lay everything on the line because I know some things about God. It's God's character that he affirmed. It's God's righteousness. It's God's faithfulness that was tested here as far as Jacob's belief in it. And so he said, even if the pain, I love, blessed be the name of the Lord. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what? There is pain in the offering. That's why Christians, people get disillusioned with Christianity because some people preach a practicing faith that's painless. That's not true. And it's not true. And that wound was there to remind him of the fact that who's in charge? God is. Your scheming ways are over, buddy. He wrestled with him and he said, I'm, he said, let me go for day breaks. God says, give up on it. Not because he wanted to give up on it. He was testing to see how resolved he was not to. And he said, what is, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. You know what? Before you can really appreciate who you are in Christ, you've got to appreciate who you are without Him. That's exactly what happened to Paul in Romans chapter 7. What did he say? Oh, wretched man that I am. That's where he was. Paul is saying the same thing. or He's asking Jacob the same thing he was trying to get out of Paul. Paul, what's your conclusion through this wrestling match? I am a wretched man apart from you. Boy, there's so much done nowadays about who you are in Christ, and there should be. But we've got to be careful there because who we are in Christ, we need to celebrate a lot of the fact of who we are without Him. I'm telling you right now, this is not about some new identity that puffs me up. This is a new identity that breaks me down and builds Him up. Be careful. We've got to say, oh no, it is not me, it is Thee. Hallelujah, amen. And so Paul said, okay, that's who I am, a wretched man apart from Christ. That's why he asked him his name. You think God didn't know his name? What he was saying was, here's the deal. Jacob, give me the right estimation of who you are apart from me blessing you. Give it to me, buddy. Tell me who you are apart from my blessing. And he pulled it out of him. And that's where you get blessed is to affirm how bad you need to be and how unworthy you are to expect but how worthy God's Son is to give it. See, He's wrestling with Jesus Christ here. This is pre-incarnate Jesus. This is the same Jesus that died on the cross. This is the same Jesus that, re that rose from the dead. He's wrestling with Jesus Christ. And what does Paul conclude? The same thing? He came out of it. He came out of it the same way that Jacob did. Look at Romans chapter 7. What does Paul say? Oh, wretched man that I am. Verse 24 of chapter 7 of Romans. Who will deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> this is where he came out on top. He came out on top because Jesus came out on top and Jacob was now on bottom. But he came out on top by saying, who will rescue me? Is there rescue? Is there rescue? Let me ask you this. Is there rescue for the sin that plagued you all your life? Is there rescue for bondage that you've been in all your life? Is there power available to overcome that? Because let me tell you, brother or sister, if there's not power to overcome that, we're to all quit right now. We need to go get the cake and cut it and quit 
this gospel mess, if it is not the power to change somebody's life and to walk in that change, then it has no teeth. But the God that we know and serve, because of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit, we know it has teeth. It changes me. I can walk changed because I've been made changed. Let me just tell you this. Don't say, and it's not right to say from the Scriptures, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It's right to say, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you're set free, you can be bound again. But if you're made free, that's an eternal condition that nobody can do anything about. I'm made free and so are you. I came out of the spiritual birth canal of Jesus Christ and so did you. The day He was raised from the dead and you and I were made free. I am not a slave to sin. I am a slave to righteousness. Whose slave are you? The devil would have you say, oh no, the same patterns must be. They're entrenched. You just got to live like this the rest of your life because that's just the way it's got to be. You know how people are. They never change. They get older and they never change. The only problem with that is the Bible. Other than that, that's great theology. I can live changed because I've been made new. I can walk new because I've been made new. Jacob didn't have to be a schemer. You don't have to be either. Dear one, you don't have to be. He came out of that and said, who's going to rescue me? The way we answer that question, nobody. Shucks. Just give me a log cabin in the corner of heaven. When I die one day, I'll go over to Marble and ain't murdered. The devil gets us right where he wants us. And the Apostle Paul came out of that and he emerged from that wrestling match just like Jacob did and said, I wasn't going to let go till you bless me because I know there's more. I know there's more. You don't tell me that you sit here and never thought there wasn't more. Yes, you have. I don't mean that God's got to send the Holy Spirit again. I mean the second blessing is to realize what you got in the first one. Amen? Give me the right estimation of yourself apart from my blessing. Strength is not in weakness. Watch, be careful. You just said, Brother Lindsay preached heresy. Strength is not in weakness. Strength is in recognized weakness. Did you hear that? Strength is not in weakness. There is no strength to walk in just, to rec just, just, just in weakness itself. Strength is in recognized weakness. That's why he said, Jacob, tell me who you are. I don't know who you are. I'm God, but I missed out on that part. No. No. Jacob, who, what's your name? What's your name, son? And Jacob said, what is his name? When he spoke his name, what did it remind him of? Heel catcher. Deceiver. That's who I am. That's who I am. He says, okay, now we can... That's kind of like Peter in John 21. There's examples all over this. Peter, you agape me? Lord, you know I filio you. Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know I filio you. Peter, do you filio me? Yes, Lord, I filio you. Peter's ready to be used now. Because Peter was big. And now he's little. Because see, when you get little, God gets big. When you get big, God gets little. In practice. Amen? So he says, okay. And by the way, you said, what's the key to victory? We said it last week. Let's affirm this again. We treat the Bible, we treat Romans 10, 17 as if it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by having heard the Word of God. That's how we treat it. Does it say that? No. It doesn't say faith comes by hearing and hearing by having heard the Word of God. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
Jesus said, If you abide in me, and I in you, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We do little abiding. And you know what? When you get to Jabbok, if you don't try to escape, the only thing that's going to encourage you to stay there and persevere through Jabbok is what God says. And oh man, this is wonderful. Look at it. He says, listen. And he said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Every time you say the word Israel, you're, you know what you're affirming? And you and I are affirming? It's in the news all the time. You ever notice that? You know, like we talk about, the most important city in the world is not London. It's not, uh, it's not uh, Washington. It's Jerusalem. And, and the, whole, <laughs> the whole history centers around that city. And, 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 and when you say the word Israel, you know what that means? Rules. I'll run somewhere. Hallelujah. God rules. God rules, man. Hey, isn't that wonderful? Israel says God rules. Just wait to see how it turns out. The Son of God is going to sit on the throne of David in that city because God rules. Amen. The, 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 the Republicans don't rule. The Democrats don't rule. And every thug or tyrant throughout the world, they do not rule. They rule at God's discretion. God rules. And he said, listen, you know that now, son. See, in losing, he won. Isn't that the paradox? If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll save it. That's why it says that he prevailed. Look at it. You're Israel, because you've struggled with God and men, and you have prevailed. God won the wrestling match and gave Jacob credit for having won it. He said, you, you, you prevailed. No, no. You prevailed because you stayed there. Last word. And we've got to have the Lord's Supper. I know we're running late. I violated my own principle. Sorry about that. I'm so excited about this text. I can't stand it, though. But here's the thing. He gets a new name. His name was Heel Catcher. Now his name is God Rules. And now, now the Lord says, and He says, now I call this place no longer Jabbok, but I call this place Peniel. And you know what Peniel means? It's in your margin of your Bible, I bet you. We're not to bed, have we? Face of God. Let me tell you this. We said it last week and we affirmed it last week. The place that you see the face of God is where you're emptied. See, he didn't, he didn't say, okay, here's Jabbok, and now that we've met God, we're going to go down here midstream and down here, and we'll name this place. We started out being empty, but down here, downstream, I got filled. And so therefore, this will be Penal down here. No, the same place, the same exact place, the same place that was called Jabbok, is now called the face of God because at the place where he was emptied is where he saw God. And let me tell you something right now. Every instinct within you is to make corrections and get out of Jabbok. You don't want any part with Jabbok in your flesh. You will do everything you can to manipulate your circumstances and to deceive yourself and others to get out of your Jabbok. And the cost of that is never being able to stand right there and say, the place I was emptied is the place where I saw the face of God. Man, hallelujah. I was talking to a guy up at Glenn's place the other day, and he was talking about how he was uh, trying to train to fly by instruments. He says the strangest thing. You'd be up in that airplane, and you're looking, you're talking. Look at the instruments now. Look at the instruments now. Watch the instrument. And everything in you, every instinct in you, 
wants to turn the plane in the opposite direction. You feel like you're going straight to the ground, but the instrument says you're doing like this. You're fine. But everything in you wants to turn the plane and make a correction. And he said, if you don't go by the instruments, you'll fly that plane into the ground. And they'll pick you up with eyebrow tweezers. He said, but see, here's the thing. You've got to go by the instruments. And this is a great example of the Christian life. Is that we take, we've got God's Word. We've got His Spirit. And the Spirit wrote this. And we commune with it. And we stand on it. And when every instinct in you is to make a correction that the Bible says not to make, don't make the correction. When the feelings don't line up with the truth, go with the truth. Because if you make the correction, you'll fly your life right into the ground. And Christianity will be nothing but a theory to you. And you'll be sitting there on the sidelines and everybody will be talking about the freedom they found in Christ and how wonderful He is. And you'll go along with it, but in the side of you, you're going to say, I don't know what they're talking about. That's exactly what will happen to you. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for my children. And I don't want that for your children. And it doesn't have to be that way. There's a Peniel coming. But you've got to stay at Jabbok. Because Jabbok and Peniel are the same place. It's the same place, dear one. Listen, are you weak? Recognize it. Don't try to put up a fight with God and convince God of something that He ain't going to be convinced with. Come out of that shell like David did and say, I'm a wretched man. Who's going to rescue me? How'd he finish it? And a crescendo of praise. Who's going to rescue me? Praise God, His blessed Son. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Amen? Could you be at a Peniel? Could you be at Jabbok? Are you in a Jabbok right now? I'm not asking you to raise a hand. Are you at Jabbok? Are you the place of emptiness? Don't resent that place. Celebrate it. Latch on to what God says. And look at Him with tenacity, reverence, and respect, but faith. And say, God, I ain't leaving this place until I, I don't want you to change my circumstances. I want you to change me. I want you to change me. And He will. He will.